separation is often the start of the divorce conversation. Who should go? Who should stay? Will I lose rights if I move out? Hear from a panel of experts, Chris Pastore, Leslie Mergolis, and Jeff Weaver, so you can part ways in both of your best interests. This episode will share what you should know about legal rights before you move out, what temporary living arrangements work, how to decide whether to keep or sell the house, and some ways to sell your house quickly. I'm Sharon Pastore, and this is the Healthy Divorce Podcast. You're listening to the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Join us as we help you navigate your divorce without going broke, relationships in ruin, or ending up in court. You'll get into financial and emotional shape, make sense of the legal process, get strong enough to negotiate for yourself, be a mindful parent, stay amicable with your spouse so you can get a fresh start. welcome your host for this episode, Adina Laver, founder of Courage to be Curious and formerly Divorce Essentials. So today's call is on making your move and when to move. And we know that when things are difficult, when people are considering separating, even before they might even consider divorce, there's all kinds of questions about what do we do with the living situation? What can we afford? Should we move? Should somebody move? Who should move? What's best for the kids? What makes financial sense? And that the house and where to live and what to do with the living situation can be a really, really challenging piece of this process. And so we wanted to bring together a team of experts today who could really help offer some support around this, raise some of the questions, offer some answers, and uh, give you opportunity to connect with them. And so we have a panel today. We have a panel of three. We have Chris Pastore, who is an attorney mediator and co-founder of the Mainline Family Law Center. And he is a dear friend of mine, I will say, and an expert attorney mediator who's been practicing family law for, been a practicing attorney for over 18 years. And he became a private divorce mediator in 2007 when he grew increasingly frustrated by destructive, by the destructive nature of the traditional court contested divorce process. And after having mediated hundreds of divorce cases, Chris and his wife, Sharon, co-founded the Mainline Family Law Center. And through working with clients and community education, Chris has made it his personal mission to revolutionize this area of law so that families can emerge healthy and whole once again. So, Chris, hello. We're so excited to have you on this month. Yes, and I'm equally as excited to be here once again. Thank you. And another dear friend who's on, Leslie Margulies, who is both an Esquire, an attorney, and a realtor. And she is a lawyer and realtor with Keller, Keller Williams Real Estate. Keller Williams is an international real estate franchise with more than 100,000 associates and approximately 700 offices worldwide. It's an it's an Inc. 5000 company that has been recognized as a top real estate company by numerous publications, including Entrepreneur Magazine and Forbes. Leslie works in the Keller Williams Bluebell office, a leader in Montgomery County for the number of closed sales. She's a graduate of Temple University, and Leslie has practiced law and been a real estate professional for 25 years. She provides professional real estate services to attorneys and their clients who demand a realtor with an understanding of contract law and of the legal, financial, and emotional challenges involved with divorce. 
And she also has an incredible system that she has developed, which she is definitely going to tell us about, on helping to really sell houses, especially when there's pressure that comes from a divorce. So hi, Leslie. We're so glad to have you on. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad to be here. And our final guest today, uh, panelist, is Jeff Weaver, and he is a divorce mortgage specialist. And with over a decade of experience in the mortgage industry, Jeff helps to explore the many options that are available so that you can make the most informed decisions about what's best for you and your family. And as a divorce mortgage specialist, Jeff helps clients understand and evaluate the options related to the disbursement of real estate assets prior to the divorce settlement. He helps evaluate the cash flow and home equity protection implications of various financial decisions before, during, and after the divorce. There are a lot of decisions to make in divorce real estate and having a clear understanding of what you own, what you owe, what you're getting into and what you're getting out of, and most importantly, what you're being stuck with will help you make better decisions for yourself and your family in the process. So hi, Jeff. We're so glad to have you on today. Hi, Dina. Thanks for letting me on the call. And, you know, this area that we're talking about, the home, is one of the most emotionally charged in divorce. And, you know, Jeff, as I was reading your bio, too, it's huge because for many couples, the home is the biggest asset that they have. And, you know, there's so many implications that, you know, while it can be emotional to decide who stays, who goes, it's been a place of memory, it's been the place of family creation, you know, and it's a time that we could almost like forget to look at all the financial implications, that there are significant legal and financial implications. And that's really our call today. The purpose of it is to bring all these pieces together for you. So, you know, I'm so glad to have all these different perspectives to inform. And I will also so add in that I will add some perspective on the emotional piece and how that interweaves with all the other things that we're going to hear about. Um, so as we're beginning to get into this dialogue, Chris, I want to invite you to come in first to this conversation and really help us to think about the legal implications because when a couple starts to think about who should move out, it can be a pretty impulsive thing. It can be almost feel like a desperate thing, and there may be legal implications that we should be aware of here. So, you know, talk to us about what you've seen in terms of people's emotional responses and what do we need to be aware of legally in terms of who might move out and when. Sure, Dina. And and obviously this question, this decision about what to do with a marital home and who stays and who moves out, uh, there can be a, a, a lot of very strongly uh, strongly charged emotions around that uh, decision. And so we have to be very careful uh, that we make the right decision uh, and doing what's right and what's best, you know, by the family in that decision. Then also being aware of what our, our uh, legal rights and obligations are upon such a decision to move from the home. So, so I, I encounter this situation often. And when I, my clients come to mediation, they often ask me, well, you know, what do we do? Uh, what do we do uh, with the home and goes and I goes and I often advise them to kind of if they can to keep the status quo if they're still living together in the home because mediation moves fairly quickly uh, and we're able to come to sit down and talk about what is the best uh, best option here in terms of who stays who moves out from a financial perspective and also uh, for the children, whether it's best to keep them stabilized in the home and, you know, how that, how we can make that work. 
However, the legal consequences that I also make them aware of is that if they're not going to mediate, if they're going to pursue a uh, contested divorce option in which they retain attorneys, that they should always consult with an attorney first before making any decisions to make any moves from the home, regardless of which spouse we're talking about. Because if one spouse moves from the home, it can raise all kinds of legal implications, obligations, and rights, and so forth. For example, uh, a, a spouse who moves from the house may, may be uh, implicated uh, to, to pay spousal support upon a separation of homes uh, based on the Pennsylvania State Support Guidelines. So depending on who, ha who has the higher income, that's how, you, how that calculation is done. It's an income-driven formula that can implicate a spouse to pay spousal support during that period of separation and also entitle the other spouse to receive a payment of, of spousal support. If children are involved, it also implicates a payment of child support as well under the state-mandated guidelines. Um, there's also this issue that comes up, of, we hear about, of abandonment. Uh, with regard to, to legal custody, or excuse me, physical custody rights. Um, so uh, the idea is that, uh, and what an attorney would advise a, a client who goes to, to visit for a consultation, is to be very careful about abandoning the, the marital home with children in it, because it can have an effect, it can have implications on that spouse's physical custody rights down the line in a contested divorce. Uh, of course, these, these, all these concerns I mentioned uh, really are of no consequence when spouses come to mediation because they come together collaboratively, and none of these issues really uh, are of much of a concern because we're there to discuss and resolve all these matters, such as support and custody, in a collaborative fashion. Right, and so I was actually, I was going to ask you about that, Chris, you know, why isn't it an issue in mediation, and that's what you came back to, is that in mediation that, and I just want to clarify a piece for myself, for our listeners as well, that um, even if one spouse were to move out during the mediation process, even though it moves more quickly and things like that, the reason these don't become as big an issue is because they're taking a collaborative process, you know, that even if one were to move out, they can still agree to all of those terms together That's in the correct. course of mediation. Is that correct? That's correct. And with regard to spousal support, you know, usually spouses are able to come to mediation and we agree because things move much more quickly that, okay, this is how they're going to support the other spouse in the, in the interim as we get a, you know as we get a final agreement in place so so we work those things out without the formality of them having to go to county domestic relations court and file because we we deal with it all in mediation we handle it all there so you know it, it takes away that necessity and also that time and expense so um yeah, so we work that out, and then, of course, we come to mediation to, to uh, negotiate through the process, you know, a fair and reasonable parenting plan as well for custody. Right. So there's one of the areas of the legality that I wanted to ask you a little bit more about before we, you know, come to our other guests, too, and then we'll get a dialogue sure. going for all of us. But the, I get a lot of calls that 
even though people don't use the word because they don't know to use the word, are concerned with the abandonment issue. So they've heard from a friend, you know, that I, I should never move out of the house or I can't move out of the house. And, you know, sometimes just the emotional charge of being in the house becomes so high that really looking at is there a way to move out. And so the question then becomes, is there a way to safely move out without triggering, you know, abandonment consequences? And so I guess if someone were asking you that question, you know, are there ways to move out that could limit, mitigate, or eliminate the abandonment consequences that you mentioned? What might they be? It's a great question. And and frankly, Adina, my friend, if I had a nickel for every time a client has mentioned this idea of abandonment, I, I would be retired by now. The, the, um, uh, I, I got to say, first of all, this claim of abandonment, it, it, it's not often raised in court. And when it does, it doesn't have uh, too much traction, to be honest with you. Um, but when we come to mediation, uh, you know, as I said before, the issue is of no consequence. But if a spouse is concerned about, you know, if I'm moving, um, I want to move out of the house, but I'm concerned about abandonment, and um, it's a claim that uh, can be made by the other spouse in court, you know, in court, uh, you know, and and only it only becomes an issue if if the claim is is raised by the other spouse. So what I would suggest is that if there's a plan to move out, that that both. Uh, uh, Spouses sit down collaboratively and try to discuss. Okay, what is best for the? Is it best for this family for one of us to vacate the home temporarily, uh, so that the other the other spouse is on board? They are aware uh, of the other spouse's intent to move out, and that this is a good thing as a whole for the family, and that and that the other spouse is not going to then assert some claim in court for abandonment. Uh, so. You know, talking and communicating before, instead of just hastily moving out, you know, and saying, grabbing your things and going, that's probably the worst thing you can do without discussing that with your spouse. Uh, one other idea that we have, we, we employ in mediation, that, that if it's good for the family, for one spouse, for the spouses not to be living together under the same roof, uh, is this idea of a nesting situation. So, um, and Sandy Scher, a parenting mediator, will often discuss this with our clients, uh, that if there is another temporary place for spouses to be, that they can kind of share the week where one can live in the home with the children, the other parent can live somewhere else, uh, and then they can switch. And then, you know, depending on the arrangement they have, the other parent comes back in, lives with the kids, and the other parent will move somewhere else. So the idea of nesting, which can be a very good temporary situation, as, as, as spouses transition into this more permanent separation of homes as, as an idea. Right. I mean, one of the things that I often suggest to people, too, just love to hear your feedback on it, is, you know, that if a spouse does move out, that they really make a commitment to um, maintaining strong connections with their kids. So if they're moving someplace where their kids can visit or stay with them, that they do that, that they, you know, see them regularly and things. And, you know, sometimes the emotion or the reaction can be, I don't want to be disruptive. I just want, you know, everyone else to not be disrupted because there can be a lot of guilt and divorce sometimes. And that, you know, that that may, is not ultimately may not be the best thing for everybody, but that if one person does choose to move out, that there's a very conscious 
um, choice about maintaining strong contact with children and making sure that that's in place as well. Yeah. There's no question. And, and so that you want to, if you're thinking about moving and where you're going to be moving to, and if it's the right choice at the right time, you know, you want to consider where are you going, you know, and is it temporary and what, what is going to be the impact on those children and will they be able, will you be able to maintain regular contact with them during this period, which is going to be so critical for them because they, they're going to need going through this transition, regular contact with both parents. So, uh, making sure that this uh, place you go to, this residence, uh, you're able to accommodate the children, um, and uh, which is not always possible, you know, uh, you know, in, in a temporary move, for example, where you go to a small apartment just to get out of the house initially. But you want to think that through before you move out because that that's very important and sometimes often overlooked. You know, what is the what is the interim impact on the children depending on where I'm going? Okay, because I may not be able to see them and they're going to need to see me and I'm going to need to maintain regular contact with them throughout this process because that's what they need. Right. So we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go. So we're going to head into talking about some of the other pieces, the financial pieces, and then selling the home too. But we're going to come back to this conversation and bring it together as to the different kinds of options that people have and, you know, some of the pros and cons or things that different options serve. Um, so, Jeff, I want to actually um, come over to you right now. First, and have you lay out a little bit of the financial landscape? I mean, Leslie's going to talk to us, you know, when there's a choice to sell the house. You know, how do we do that in the most effective way? But before we even get there, I want to come over to you because there are so many financial implications consider around staying in the house, leaving the house, you know, what to do, who owns it, how it transfers, you know, tax implications. Like, it's it's a whirlwind. I still feel like I'm a baby learning at it, like new at learning at it. So, you know, can you start to take us through some of the things that we really should be, you know, writing down to investigate further as we're trying to make this decision from a financial vantage point? Sure. Well, just to kind of take like a 10,000-foot overview, um, when there's marital property involved, you basically have three choices. You can leave the house titled the way it is um, and just kind of leave things and deal with the house later. Typically, you know, this is a choice that people have to make because they don't really have any of the other choices. So, you know, they may be underwater on the house or there may be credit issues. So, um, you know, they're left with kind of stuck, you know, just leaving the title and everything the same on, 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 the, on, on the house. And this is probably the, the least desirable option because oftentimes what happens was down the road you end up being uh, legally divorced, but financially you're still married to the, the other person um, because you have this joint asset that you have, um, which can be kind of, kind of tricky to, to, to uh, navigate. So, you know, you can leave things the way they are. The, the, the second option is you can have um, one spouse will buy out the other spouse. So if, if one spouse wants to stay in the home um, for whatever reasons, um, they, can get a re, they can refinance, get the loan in their name so it's just on their credit, um, and then transfer the property that way. Um, this can get kind of tricky when you have, um, especially if one spouse is dependent upon support. Um, it can be hard to hard to refinance if they're if they're not working or have another income source to qualify. Um, so when you're looking at a loan, just because you're getting income doesn't mean that uh, the lender will will qualify that income 
Um, so you can use that, you know, to qualify for, for, um, for the loan. Um, and then the other piece is you can just sell the property, divide it up, and kind of go your, go your separate ways. Um, so, like you said, there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to kind of navigate. There's a lot to consider. So it's best to talk with a realtor, a mortgage professional, you know, as early on in, in, the, in the process and not wait until you're, you know, toward the end of, you know, hammering out an agreement um, because you need to know what you kind of qualify for and what your options are. Um, so, you know, talking to somebody as early on as possible um, will make things go a lot smoother. Right. And Jeff, I know as you were talking about and laying out the three options, you know, because emotions are so high during this period of time is there can, you know, this first choice of the house stays titled where a couple's then legally divorced but financially married, you know, feels like a way to, all right, you know, either avert having to deal with something or feels the most stable for kids. But what we can't see at that point is sometimes really what the implications are, you know, of being financially married. And then, you know, the partner who's not in the house choosing to make some other decision and not being able to or, you know, our relationship to that money or that investment that we have changes over time. So sometimes there's things down the road we can't see. Um, and the same thing of when you said one person buying the other person out and somebody staying in the house is that we can often overlook how much it costs to maintain that house when there aren't two people living there anymore, you know, when we're now mm-hmm. to support two households and get into a situation where people become house poor because emotionally feeling like they wanted, if all else was going on, was not stable, they wanted the home to be stable. And so, you know, disentangling the financially, um, the financial decision from the emotional decision can be such a difficult piece, which is why it's so important to have advisors like the realtor, like the mortgage specialist, like a financial planner involved to help see the eyes and ears that are not affected by emotion in the same way. Right. And one thing that, you know, a lot of people, you know, things that people don't think about is, you know, if you're going to stay in the home, not just, you know, the financial implications of that and being house poor, but what, what condition is the home in? Um, you know, a lot of people will just focus on getting the mortgage and doing the refinance and getting everything titled, but they typically won't do a home inspection or, you know, septic, septic inspections to find out what kind of condition the house is in. So, you know, you're not going to have like a huge major expense or there's a, you know, really big defect in the, in the house. So, you know, those kinds of things, you know, when you're talking with other professionals, you know, they can kind of get you thinking about some things that, um, you know, you may not really be focused on, but are, you know, could be important a year or two years down the road. Right. Which actually, I mean, as I'm listening to, I, I hadn't even thought about that or heard of it, but it's true because what if the water heater is like a year away from like, you know, getting ready to go? And what if the roof, we hadn't thought about it, but needs to be replaced another year or two, like we're just about to spring leaks or all those kinds of things we would look at if we were buying a new home. But here we're focused on trying to get to resolution, get out of something that feels like a difficult situation. And we can overlook something that then can have tremendous financial implications. Jeff, what about the tax implications? What can you tell us about tax implications of these different um, choices? Um, 
so the the tax well the, you're only going to have a taxable event if you sell the home so um you know there's nothing really tax wise if you kind of keep everything status quo um if you're going to transfer the property you know that's going to be you know a tax consequence later down the road when you're going to when you're going to sell it um but if you decide at, at some point you know we're first the first two options don't work um and we're going to sell the home now the good news is um is that with the new the new tax relief act in 1997 they kind of changed the capital gains rules for um for houses so the irs gives um everybody an exclusion there's a single exclusion um, of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and there's a married exclusion of five hundred thousand dollars now it's not the purchase price it's actually the gain on the house so whatever you sell the house um for you can subtract out what you purchased it for, and you can also subtract out any improvements that you made, and then that's your that's your gain. So it only becomes an issue if you're if you're above 250, if you're just titled on the property yourself, or if you're married, if it's above 500,000. You can use it once every two years. So as long as you haven't used that in two years, you can you can use that exclusion. Um, now, for people, for folks who are going through a divorce, there's in order to use the exclusion, there are um, there are two 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 requirements from the IRS. Um, there's an ownership requirement and a use requirement. So ownership is pretty easy. You you have to be on title. You can't use the exclusion if you're not on title to the property. The other exclusion, the use exclusion, um, you must have used the home as your primary residence for the preceding two years, or as your primary residence during the marriage. So it doesn't matter how long you've been out of the home, you could have moved out, you know, four years ago. Um, but in the eyes of the IRS, um, if, if this was your primary residence during your marriage, you can still use uh, the use requirement. So, so really the big thing is if, if you haven't, you know, for, for overwhelming majority of people, um, they're not gonna have a $250,000 gain or a $500,000 gain. Um, but again, you know, I'm not a tax advisor, CPA, so you, know, you should check with your with your tax advisor on that. But um, but for most people, they're going to fall under those under those exclusion amounts. So capital gains shouldn't be shouldn't be an issue for most people. Okay, great. So Leslie, I'm going to now turn the conversation over to you, and um, because you come in here, well, actually, you have many hats that you can wear because of your multiple certifications and degrees here, carrying the attorney credential as well as the realtor credential. So you actually can play many hats in this uh, arena. But in the case where people are deciding to sell the house, and um, I will come back and offer some thoughts around. The emotions of that too, as I'm sure you will. But um, what's really what's important for couples to be thinking about, and especially when working with divorce, you know, couples that are going through a divorce, you know, how does that change what you do as a realtor, both in working with the couple and in also trying to sell the house for them? So tell us a little bit about this process from your vantage point. Well, um, it's certainly different in the cases where there's children involved. Um, and, you know, what uh, Chris was talking about with nesting, um, using that as a, as a structure really, to me, is um, preferential because I see in my practice um, sometimes the collaborative aspect falling apart. And people um, who have attempted some 
form of collaborative or mediation um, and, and then fail to, to be able to do that and then are rushed, rushing to sell the home. Um, and, and in those cases, whatever agreement they may have had about, um, you know, whether or not one is considered to be abandoning the property may be thrown out the window. So um, in terms of, of selling the home where children are involved, they really do need to be speaking to their attorney about um, the best the best decision to make um, so that they're not they're not viewed as abandoning the home. Um, and in terms of, you know, from my perspective as a realtor, what I see as the biggest challenge is there's this conflict between you know, the desire and the need to disentangle their finances, but also the need to keep some of their finances together for the purposes of selling the home. Um, what you'll often see is the worst sale being considered in the real estate market as a financially distressed situation because buyers will take advantage of knowing the fact that there may be a divorce, knowing that gives them an advantage because they view that as a situation where the parties are conceivably not agreeing on, on matters and may have to sell the property for less than, than market value. And part of that is because we see that the parties are not able to come together to agree on what's necessary to maintain the home, not only maintain it, but perhaps, as Jeff mentioned, you know, repair some possible defects and present the home in the best way possible so that we can get maximum uh, market value for the property. So, I mean, there's obviously a lot of things that I, as a realtor, would recommend that a, that a parties do before putting a property on the, on the market, such as, you know, getting all the repairs done before it's brought to the attention, their attention by the buyers, making sure that it, it looks good and it shows well perhaps getting a home inspection to determine if there's anything that needs to be repaired um, prior to putting it on the market so that you're presenting the home in the best possible light and nobody's going to be able to negotiate you down during the process because of possible repairs. So, um, so for example, I may recommend that clients do certain repairs and also perhaps stage the home. And those things all cost money. And if the parties are not in agreement um, living in the home and, you know, barely talking to each other, um, that may not be possible for them to do that. So if there's um, a way, particularly at the beginning of the process where they're in agreement about these things, setting aside a certain amount of money for, for the sale of the home seems to me to be the best possible um, solution, although I know obviously that doesn't always happen. Um, another situation I see occurring is, you know, they want to sell the home, but they haven't agreed yet on the split of liquid assets. And it's, and so, therefore, I will hear from one party, well, I'd like to sell the home. And I know he wants to sell the home, but, you know, we haven't agreed on splitting the savings account yet. So if we haven't agreed on that, then how, how do I know what assets I will have to be able to even pay for moving expenses or find a new place to live? So being able to have some kind of interim agreement about liquid assets is also something I see very advantageous for so that people can make that, parties can make that decision about what their next step would be. 
Yeah, and so it really sounds like some of this is, you know, slowing down a little bit, perhaps finding one of these interim solutions like nesting or, you know, temporary of different kinds so that these decisions can be made thoughtfully when, you know, emotions are a little bit more tempered that we can look financially because as we, you know, sort of started the call with, the house for many couples is the most valuable asset that they have or the one with the most, the biggest financial implications, for example, if they owe a lot on it and things like that, that, you know, being able to get the best value for your house could have an important implication in the overall financial structure or, you know, not taking on bigger losses or more debts or things like that. So really being able to give this the kind of attention, which in an ideal situation, if the emotions were not high, you know, is difficult to do. And so all the more so in these situations, you know, and even just listening, you know, reflecting on the things that you suggested and even what I did in my case of or having had, you know, we had some disagreement about how much money would go into staging. You know, we ultimately, you know, compromised and figured that out. But then having a home inspection, which isn't something we probably would not have thought about, really turned out to be very significant in our favor in selling the home and also just having released ourselves of the energy of urgency, you know, so that we were not giving off that vibe that we've got to get rid of it at all costs and things like that. So being able to list it when the listing was good. So these are all ideal circumstances. But Leslie, you also, you know, you have a bulldog marketing system that I want to invite you to share because sometimes like the house has to get sold quickly, right? It's part of the plan here. The couple needs to divide up the assets in order to be able to move on. And so you've really been studying and look at like, how do we do this in the fastest way, but still getting the best value that we can? So tell us a little bit about your Bulldog marketing system. Well, the Bulldog marketing campaign is really just about doing all the things that we know we need to do um, in order to properly market the property and get the, the maximum value, but often may, we may not want to do because it takes time or money. Um, so often with my clients, I am going through a list of things that I see necessary to, to do that, and it may include things that cost money, as you suggested, like possibly a home inspection, possibly staging. Um, and if we're able to have a conversation with the parties um, where we can all you know, communicate directly, um, that makes it easier because we may agree because of finances on some kind of compromise. For example, um, I have a stager that does, you know, has an alternative, which is kind of a DIY do-it-yourself staging, which is much less expensive. Um, but again, that, that requires us being able to sit down together and make that decision. So obviously, as you suggested, the more um, agreeable we can all, all the, the parties can come together and talk about these things at the beginning, the better. Um, but yes, the, that, the marketing campaign is about um, doing things such as repairing the home, staging the home, marketing it um, to, to all forms of social media, and really just about um, kind of the essentials of Marketing 101, which is who is the potential buyer for this home, um, who would be the ideal candidate that would most likely buy this home, and, and how do we reach them. And um, that's just about marketing. So. Um, it's all, all of the things that realtors already do, um, such as, you know, listing on the MLS and listing on Craigslist and Facebook and LinkedIn and, um, and having open houses, but then also trying to be a little bit more creative and go the extra mile. What else can we do to reach the potential buyers? Are they first-time home buyers? Are they people that are 
you know, maybe transitioning from a, um, you know, an urban area to a suburban area because of children and how can we reach them? Right. I mean, that's sort of one of the things I love about what you do is that you really try to create the persona or a couple personas of who's the ideal buyer for this house. So there's one thing about just spreading the word and getting it out there, and there's something else to really say, you know, looking at location, looking at the type of home it is, looking at a whole variety of factors and saying, who's the ideal buyer for this house? And that's something that's really impressed me in the way that you think about um, and I've seen you sell houses this way, you know, think about the house is that you do go that extra level of really thinking who would come into this particular house, and that's been great. Um, I want to, you know, think a little bit about here together, you know, we've talked as I've spoken with all three of our panelists about the intersection of emotion in all of this. And so you can be sitting on the call and, you know, if your experience is to be in the height of emotion, like all this may seem completely unrealistic um, or my partner will never agree to all of this or it could feel unattainable or unreachable in some way. And so, um, you know, I want to, and, and really interfere with the decision making like yeah this would be great under ideal circumstances but we're in anything but ideal circumstances and so you know I think you know Chris I want to come back to you for a minute and I want to offer some words here too about what do you see that really I mean it seems almost far-fetched that a couple going through this could be able to sit down and think about all these things what are some of the things that help to be able to come and sit with professionals and make these kind of reason choices when it feels like we're as far away from reason as we could possibly get well, <clears throat> not to put you on the spot, and if you want me to go first, I will. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, because it does come up all the time, and, and you know, and we, we may be, you know, beating a dead horse. It may sound like a broken record, but collaborative, collaborative, collaborative is the key. I mean, you know, uh, with with an asset like a home that that's so important in most cases, and probably, you know, many cases the biggest asset. Um, if we're, we don't have to, you know, we don't have to necessarily agree uh, up front on what we're doing with it, but we need to be in the same ballpark on the same page as far as what are the next steps and taking into consideration the bigger picture here, you know, of this divorce and not so much getting bogged down on, well, how much am I going to get versus how much is he or she going to get? Uh, the house, I, I, you know, I often tell my clients this, and, and, it, and the way we, we work around a fair settlement and mediation it, it oftentimes seems to pivot around the marital home because the marital home, depending on what we decide to do with it, can have all kinds of implications across the board with the rest of the divorce, you know, from financial to custody and where the children are going to be and where they need to be and so forth. Um, <clears throat> getting on the same page as to a general plan. Okay, so what is the general plan that's best for this family moving forward? Who needs to be where? Where do the kids need to be? Um, and then not worrying so much about the finances of it at first, but just having a general plan. Because in that case, once you're on the same page generally in that respect, then you can approach the appropriate professionals, whether it's the attorney, whether it's the mediator, whether it's the, the real estate agent, mortgage broker, and then they can better advise you accordingly because now they know what the mutual plan is for this family around that house. Because as I say before, that house is going to be the focal point in many cases of how this divorce is going to go. It's going to, 
you know, depending on what you do with the house is going to really determine a lot of the outcome of, of, you know, what a fair settlement is going to look like. So I'm not sure if I answered your question. So, but Well, Chris, I actually think you did. You said something really powerful, and I just want to add a few things in here, too, is you said have the plan of what you want first and let the money come second because it's much easier to try to fit a financial plan, make a financial plan work to support a life plan that you have than it is to try to do the two at the same time or to create a financial plan and to make the life plan. So I think what you said is crucially important there. And, you know, part of what can help people to do that is, you know, as we're doing here, get educated, learn. And I would like to add in a second tip, like yours, I think was huge, create your life plan and like give ourselves a little bit of time that even if things are really tense and I know, I mean, I've lived through those tense, you know, situations too. What can we do temporarily to alleviate some of the heightened tension so that we can give ourselves time because making the decisions and choices impulsively rarely leads us to the optimum plan, either life plan or financial plan. And so if there's a way to buy time, I always encourage people to find a way to buy time. Um, I would also be remiss on doing a program about the home if I didn't bring one other thing in that I really want to bring forward because... Um, and it has to do with the kids in the home, which I know is not our primary focus, but oftentimes the choice about what to do with the home is driven by what we want for our kids. And so, you know, one of the thought processes, and we've talked about it in past calls, is how do we keep everything the most stable for the kids? Like we're disrupting these other things. How do we keep things the most stable? And so one option parents often consider is who can stay in the home, who's going to stay in the home with the kids and who moves out. One of the things, and, you know, this is in no way to advocate that one solution is better than another. What we intend to do on these calls is to put a lot of things out there so that you can have the broadest range of things to consider as you're going through this, one of the things that sometimes doesn't get considered is that while keeping kids in the home keeps things stable, it can also sometimes set up a paradigm where there's the place that's home and then there's the parent that I visit with. And, you know, when that other parent, so if, if somebody's moving out and somebody's staying in the home where the memories already are, where the life already is, that it can, that, that's something to consider. Either how does this other home also become a home? Does it make sense, even if it means more transition, to have two homes where the parents are on some even footing in creating home with children? So it's just something that, and I've seen this happen sometimes where people are like, I want the kids to be stable, but then they end up feeling like I'm the only person they only ever visit with. They don't really live here, you know. So every family has to make the choice that really works for them. We just want to put things out there so that you can have the broadest range of perspective and thinking of this through. Um, so... We have about five minutes left, and in that five minutes, I think it's really important that people know how to reach all of you, and then we'll come back and do a little closure. So, you know, Leslie, let me start with you. You know, we're in the case, and you're in the Montgomery um, County area, but you serve a number of different counties as a realtor. So tell us, like, where you're located, what your range is, and how people can reach you if they have questions or want to follow up with you. Okay. Well, as um, as a realtor, I, I typically serve Montgomery and Bucks County. Um, 
and as you know, a real estate attorney, my reach is much broader um, in, in all counties. So uh, the best way to reach me is either on my cell phone or my email. My cell phone is 215-740-9646, and my email is lesliethelawyer at gmail.com. That's so easy to remember, lesliethelawyer at gmail.com. That's great. I know. And, Les- and Leslie is remember it well. Yes. And Leslie is super active all over social media, so Leslie the Lawyer will get you all kinds of, you know, connections to her. So, Jeff, what area are you in? What area do you cover, and how do people reach you? Um, I am in, um, my office is in Downeytown. I have an office in Wayne as well, and I pretty much cover um, most of my businesses, greater Philadelphia area. Um, Our company is licensed in 15 states, though, so, um, you know, I'm not really as bound by geography as Leslie is. Um, People can reach me, and they can get more information about stuff I talked about today and and if all things mortgage-related through my website, divorcingyourrealestate.com, and it's the best place to get all my contact information. Okay, that's great. And Chris, tell us a little bit about Mainline Family, if people want to consider mediation um, as an option to do this collaboratively, as all three of you have talked about the the benefits of the collaborative process. How do they reach Mainline Family Law Center and you, and what kind of resources can they access to support them? Sure. Uh, Dina, really the um, where I would first direct clients is to the website itself because it is chock full of a ton of free information and resources. I mean, really, really a well-put-together site. Um, and uh, that can be found at www.myhealthydivorce.com, www.myhealthydivorce.com. You're welcome to call our office. The direct uh, line there is 610-764-7144 to, to speak to somebody about more about the process and whether or not they would be appropriate for it, them and their spouse and how it works. Uh, And Chris, I'm going to play Sharon right now and jump in because she's going to cringe that you gave that website address because I think your website address has changed. (laughs) Well. (laughs) I think you're at now Mainline Divorce Mediator, aren't you? Well, I'm not, but we may still have the domain, though. So, Sharon, do you, this this is just happening this morning, by the way. (laughs) Okay, so you can either find them at MyHealthyDivorce.com or MainlineDivorceMediator.com, which is, I think, where their site is live. Either domain will work. I tried the the Healthy Divorce this morning and it worked. Okay, good. uh, So either that or MainlineDivorceMediator.com. My personal email, if anyone has questions, they'd like to email me, is the letter C, my last name, Pastore, C-P-A-S-T-O-R-E, at mlfamilylawcenter.com. Right, and answer any questions anyone has. Great. And in terms of reaching uh, myself, Adina Laver, I am at divorceessentials with an S dot net is my website and Adina, A-D-I-N-A, at divorceessentials.net. And so you can reach any of us that way. And, you know, our goal here is that while all this is going on and there's so much turbulence and things like that, the way to feel more secure, the way to make more informed decisions that better serve for the short and the long term is to reach out to 
people to get support, is to reach out and get informed, get support, um, let people sort of guide you through this process and help you make the decisions. Um, and we recognize it's a difficult time, and that's why we're all very committed to the healthy process. And um, so we really encourage you to reach out to us. And, you know, I think if we were to leave you with one, you know, big message here, it's that, you know, there is a way through, there are people here to guide through, and there are choices that, you know, don't have, that can leave you in a stronger stead in the future um, by reaching out, getting educated, and getting that support. And so, you know, we hope that this has been helpful to you for that, and um, we look forward to continuing to support you. hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Divorce Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me, Sharon Pastore, or my partner, Chris Pastore, at MyHealthyDivorce.com. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, you can have a healthy divorce. It's how you divorce that matters.